so uh, who's been watching the Olympics? Anybody been watching the Olympics lately, right? I love it, love Olympics. Olympics is an amazing, amazing thing, right? Is when I've realized the Olympics have the power to make me care about sports I've never cared about, right? <laughs> there are certain sports I didn't even know were sports until they came on the Olympics. I was like, this is a sport, right? There's been some sports that have been on, and my sons have been like, Dad, what sport is this? And I'm like, I don't know, right? And I try to make up a name for the sport based on what they have. I'm like, this could be handball or throw a ball around game. I don't know what this is, okay? But it's crazy, but like there's sports like swimming and gymnastics, very cool, right? But through all other the four years when there aren't any Olympics, if, if, the, like, if swimming or gymnastics are on, usually it's on like when there's not a, a major sport on, they tuck those in on like Sundays on NBC, right? And usually when I turn on and there's a swimming competition, I immediately turn it off, right? I don't watch swimming, but for some reason, the past two weeks, I've become a swimming fanatic, right? I love it. I know all the, I haven't gotten a pool in the past two weeks and did some of the strokes, right? For about four or five seconds. And I was like, well, that's enough of that, right? But it's crazy. You watch it. And the thing that, that I love about the Olympics is some of you, maybe, maybe you don't like this, but I love all the backstories, right? I love when they show like the little vignettes, you know what I mean? Of this guy and his training regiment, and he overcame this to do this. Like, I love the backstories, right? And the thing that kind of blows me away about these, these Olympians is that they are unbelievably focused and intentional, right? Like everything in their life is planned out and structured for them to be the most elite athletes in the world. And, 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 and like, you know, when I see them, like, you know, like their bodies and stuff, they just, it reminds me of me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like the gymnast, like when your abs show through your shirt, you know you're doing something right. You know what I mean? It's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, they focus, right, on this. And then at the end of it, right, I, I, this is what blows my mind, is the most focus I've ever seen to, to accomplish something. And at the end of it, you know what you're doing? You're winning a game, right? You're winning a game. Like you're doing every in your life to win a game. And it's good and it's for your country, but it's still a game. And at the end of it, guess what? They give you a medal. It's a medal. Right now, I get it. There are not very many people have one. And if you have a gold medal, it's made of gold, and you have a gold medal, I get that it makes you special, but you know what it is? It's a medal, right? Like, if you win anything, you may, as a kid won something and they gave you a medal and you got done, you're like, I really worked hard and now I have a medal, right? But you go home and it's hanging somewhere in your house. And I, as I thought about this whole idea of underground Jesus and underground discipleship and the fact that like the creator, right, of the universe, Jesus, right, the living God has given us an opportunity, an invitation even, and said this, I will teach you how to live your life as it was created to be lived. In, in the amount of intention and focus you put into following me, your life can actually be transformed where you will learn to live and to love and to serve and to forgive and to give. And, and your life could be lived the way it was created to be lived, the more focus and intention you put to following me. Like you don't win a game and you don't get a medal, but you actually become the kind of human being you were created to be. And for me, like, I'm, I'm also, I'm into sports. I'm not banging on sports, right? I mean, I, I, I coach all the time. I'm, I'm currently, I don't know if you guys knew this. It's kind of a big deal. I don't like to brag. I'm currently the assistant coach of the fourth grade Michigan State Spartans. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I accepted the position. Small signing bonus, small signing bonus. But um, I lead the defense. We run a 5-3 defense. We're pretty strong. I just want to say that. Uh, 
I, I coach fourth grade football. And every week I dedicate six hours about of my life to fourth grade football. And sometimes at night I, I stay up with my iPad and I've got this app where I can create plays and change the lineups of my fourth grade football team. And I do that, okay? And then sometimes when I see my fellow friends that also coach fourth grade football, we talk a lot about our decisions coaching fourth grade football, okay? I understand it's a little bit, okay, I get it, all right? But I thought about this week is that every week I spend six hours and sometimes I wake up and I'm thinking about defensive alignments in fourth grade football. And then if someone were to say, hey, would you be cool with spending like six hours a week really focusing on how you follow Jesus? I think some of us would be like, now let's not get out of hand, right? Like, I'm making it to church, okay? Like, I got, him, I got you for an hour on Jesus, but if you're trying to, you know, I've got some important things to do, like coach fourth grade football, right? And it just started going perspective to my mind that, that we can get so wrapped up in our focus of our pursuits for things that are, are good, but are so much below what we were created for and that which will actually change our life and the life of others. And it's actually needed for us to actually become a little more like Jesus every day of our life. Because many of you and many of the people that you run into each day, they are really hurting and trying to figure out, is there a God? Does he care at all for my life? And will it make any difference if I follow him? This week, I had a great opportunity to go to the uh, Wolfie's restaurant. Uh, Scott and Isla Wolf are amazing people. They own the Wolfie's restaurants, and we've done many pub theology events with them for years and years and years. And I got to go to their employee party this week and hang out with some of their, their employees and, and pray for their meal and just hang out. And I got to do a conversation with one of the bartenders that I've known for years, and, and she's a follower of Jesus, and she sat there, and we just talked, and, and, and through tears, she was telling me about how she's really been wanting to follow Jesus, but she can't do church regularly because she's usually, you know, bartending or working until like three or four in the morning and trying to get back in. And life just doesn't work. And so she's kind of out on her own. And a couple years ago, she had a family member tragically die. And she was like, that really, really hurt my ability to kind of like trust God. And then just recently, like something has happened with her family where she said this. She said, dear, I feel like I'm holding on by like a thread to my faith right now. And I'm so stoked because Scott and I, the Wolf, are restarting this thing. They, they, they started called RIBS. It stands for Restaurant Industry Bible Study. And I'm going to get a chance to be there. And she's going to find community and hopefully a way to find someone that might disciple her in her life. And if you are in the restaurant or, or bar industry and you're looking for community or a place to be plugged in, uh, it's going to happen every month. You can look it up on, on, on the website. You can also just come talk to me. But September 13th is the first one. I'd love to have you there. But then earlier, two weeks ago, I was down at Broadway Tavern and and uh, we were there for like a memorial service because one of the servers, one of the bartenders that was there, young, sharp, beautiful, 20-year-old, 20-something girl was coming home late one night, or early one morning, not sure on the details, but she was walking home and she was struck by two cars and killed. So we went down there to kind of have like a memorial service kind of gathering at Broad Rebel Tavern. And I found myself talking to one of the bartenders who was volunteering that night. She said, you're the pub theology guy, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. She said, I went to one of your deals like seven years ago. I was like, oh, you did? Cool. And the story behind it was really crazy, and I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but she said, yeah, I, um, I used to follow Jesus. I said, you did? I said, what happened? She said, well, I followed Jesus my whole life. I was in church my whole life, and, and in fact, I was the youth leader at my youth group for years. She said, then I was 19 years old, and I made a foolish decision, and, and, and I, I got a DUI. And she said, when it came out, my church 
removed me from leadership in the youth ministry and actually kind of ostracized me from the church, and now I've just kind of been wandering. And when I think about my friend from, from Wolfies and I think about my new friend from, from Broderbill Tavern, I think about people, like maybe like some of you and some of your friends, who, who, who they're not against Jesus, right? That there, there was a seed of a discipleship of Jesus sown into the soil of their life at some point in their life. And now they, they've not found anybody that would say to them, hey, listen, I know this is difficult. And I know this is tough. And I know you're going through really difficult things. But, but could we get into a deep relationship in a way where, where I could teach you what I know about following Jesus? And maybe even if it's flawed and kind of jacked up and not the greatest, but you can learn to follow Jesus by following him like I do. And then maybe we could walk together in a relationship to help you get through these times so that, so that the seed that is in your life would not just stay dormant under the surface, underground, but that God could actually grow this up and the fruit of your life would be a life more full of faith and hope and love. Because see, discipleship, guys, it's, it's something that, that has really shaped my life. And it basically just means being a learner of Jesus, right? A student but not just somebody who knows information, but someone who actually lives their life, right, as if Jesus were living their life if he were us. And, and, and I think some of it for us is we, maybe we've been around the church or grown up around the church, or maybe we haven't, but, but we've been a little ignorant of what it's actually about, like what the deal is, like what the mission of God is. And so I'm gonna, we're going to do an experiment, right? Maybe awkward. That's okay. I kind of enjoy awkward. And, but I want to ask you three questions, right, that really kind of messed with my mind about seven years ago and completely changed the trajectory of my life, okay? So danger, these three questions could screw up your life for the next like, decade, all right? But in a really good way, all right? So stand up with me real quick, okay? Actually, yeah, it's fine. Stand up. All right. I just screwed up, but it's fine. I'll figure it out. Here's the deal, all right? By show of hands, how many of you say you, 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 or you've heard that there is a thing called the Great Commission by Jesus. The Great Commission, okay? Put your hands down. How many of you feel like right now you could probably get within a zip code of actually being able to recite what the Great Commission is? You might be able to recite it, okay? Not as many hands, okay? Problem one, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we have a mission given to us by Jesus. One of the last things he said to us, right? And many of us, we don't even know what the mission is. So it's kind of tough to do what we're supposed to do when we don't know what we're supposed to do, okay? So we're going to read it together. We're going to try reciting it. For those of you that think you can get close, just shout out the words that you feel really good about, all right? And if you don't know it, just kind of mumble under your breath some Bible stuff, like say disciple every once in a while, like Bible, right? And it'll all mix together in the noise, all right? So here's the great commission from Jesus. It says this, and you can read along or just say along with me if you think you got it, all right? He says this in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay? So that's, what we're, that's the deal. Go and make disciples is the actual mission Jesus has given us. Okay? Here's a question. <clears throat> If you in your life have actually had someone say to you, hey, I want to teach you how to follow Jesus, and I want you to be my disciple as I follow Jesus. So you have been discipled by another human being, okay? I want you to stay standing. If you've never been discipled by someone, grab, grab a seat, okay? Grab a seat if, you, if no one's ever said, hey, I'm going to teach you, and like you had a formal relationship, okay? About where we were first service, Okay? So we're, we're seeing that the steps down. We had a mission, but many of us, we've grown up and it's just like, hey, no one really ever taught me. I just kind of tried to figure it out, okay? 
That's a problem, okay? Okay, how about this? Next question. If we gave you a brand new disciple today, somebody pray and they said, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. If we gave them to you and said, you have a year to teach them to follow Jesus in, in, in such a way that they can become a disciple of Jesus that can make disciples of Jesus. So they can follow Jesus and teach someone within a year of how to do that the same thing. If you feel confident that if I gave you a brand new Christian right now, you could help them be, like, become a disciple that makes disciples within the next year. If you feel like you could do that, stay standing. If you feel like, ah, I'm not too sure about that, grab a seat. Okay? Like, like, you see how the numbers are going down, right? People asked me this question about seven years ago, and at the end of asking this question, we all again, once again, recited the Great Commission. And I was sitting down, because I couldn't really figure out anybody that had really formally discipled me, and they said this, if we went back to your church right now and could find someone that said, hey, pastor such and so, he's, he's discipling me and teaching me how to follow Jesus. And I had to sit down, because I was doing stuff, but not intentionally. And then we recited the Great Commission again, and I realized something is wrong. Okay, grab a seat. We have an actual formed mission to make disciples, but the majority of us, we're not even really sure how to do it. Some of us didn't know we were supposed to. This morning, in the next 21 minutes, I hope for us to like decide and figure out, like, you know what, I think, I think we're supposed to. It's a good idea, and I'd like to get involved in it. Okay? And here's the deal that's kind of crazy. Is disciples, that's, discipleship is actually three things. Three things. Check us out. It's information, imitation, and innovation. So often growing up, we, we, we heard or maybe thought that being a disciple of Jesus is just about knowing all the Bible stuff, right? So if you knew all the Bible stuff and you could you know, win Bible Bowl or quiz, you know, Bible quiz, then you must be a super mature follower of Jesus. No, you're not. You're just a person who knows a bunch of Bible stuff, okay? Because I've met a lot of people in my life that know the Bible really well but don't live any of it, Right? And the weird part is you see from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're about to read here in Mark chapter 4, is that Jesus had a really interesting plan that I wouldn't have done if I were him, right? If I were Jesus and I was trying to let the world know like this message of what it means to, to follow me and that I loved him, like I would do something like some kind of weird like, like, you know, like, uh, like, like homing device of all human beings and make everybody in the world come to me, right? And maybe I could have set up like for three years of ministry, I'd have gotten a big stadium and you, like all the world would come. You'd have like your week that you spent with Jesus and I would teach you everything I knew. Like here's all the information you need to know from God to you. And then you'd go home for a week and then the next like million people would show up and, and that would have been a good strategy to me. I mean, if you gotta let the whole world know, you got three years to let the world know about the, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm God, I'm here and here's the deal. You should teach everybody. We could have gotten it done right there in like three years, bada bing, it's over, right? But Jesus does something really weird. He chooses 12 dudes, 12, to spend 50% of his life with in those three years. And he doesn't just give them information, right? He doesn't just give them information, but he actually says, here's the deal, imitate my life, do what I do. Talk how I talk, heal how I heal, forgive how I forgive, give how I give, serve how I serve, do what I do. Take the information I'm giving you and actually model your life after me, and then I'm going to send you out to innovate on that in the way that you do it. Jesus' strategy was pretty good because he did that with 12 dudes. One of the guys betrayed him, not a good deal. And even in that 12, he actually spent even extra time with just three of them, and we are still talking about it today in Carmel, Indiana, 2,000 years after it happened. So in our lives, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we at a place where we have anyone in our life that we are actually in a deep enough relationship to imitate their life as they follow Jesus, 
Or, and also, are we at a place where we would say, you know what? I'm in for this discipleship thing. I'm going to pull somebody into my life and say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'll show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. It may be flawed. It may be kind of jacked up. It may not be perfect, but I'll give you a real-life example of what it could look like. One thing I love about Mercy Road is that it exists to actually see this happen. When I met Josh on an airplane crossing the country like 12 years ago, I don't know that he had this vision then, but when he got here, we sat down and we were like, dude, I don't just want to be a part of a church, right, where they just do a service and it's like, see you later, bye. And we try to give you information for an hour on Sunday, but he wanted to see actually this, this place that would be a, 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 not a museum, right, for, 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 for saved people, but it would be a hospital for sinners to come and realize they can never, they, they, they're never too far, right, away from God to find real life change. And then they would actually be invited in to, to these outposts, these missional communities where people would do life together. And then people would be invited in to be a part of these discipleship huddles where somebody would say, listen, I'm going to pour a year of my life into your life so that you can reproduce that over and over and over again. And that's why I love being a part of this church, because discipleship is more than just, hey, I know the right answers, but it's actually being able to reproduce it in your life so someone else can follow. Check it out. Jesus talks about this, right, in Mark chapter 4. My definition I have today is this, that discipleship is an intentional process of unearthing underground realities through real, raw, and authentic relationships to unleash a revolution of individuals living their lives as Jesus would if he were them. And it starts with underground realities. Let's see what Jesus had to say here in Mark chapter 4. Jesus begins teaching, and I want you to notice the signal flow for here for Jesus as he's teaching information, but then he drives it home with his disciples, his close-knit group, to drive them to a deeper level of understanding. Mark chapter 4, it goes like this. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat into the boat, and while all the people remained on the shore, he taught them, telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and he scattered it across his field. Some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil and under, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon withered under the hot sun because since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Another seed fell among the thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when, he, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scripture may be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they would turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell upon the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the laurel of wealth, and the desire of other things, so no fruit is produced. In the seed that fell on good soil, it represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. 
But Jesus, I pray as we just continue the last few minutes here that you would apply this word to our life and it would take root and change the character and the quality of the soil of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. All of Jesus' stories here in this parable deal with underground realities, with the condition of the soil of our souls. And, and that's something that we need to take, take understanding of and understand if we're going to see discipleship actually change our life. Because so often when we, we, we look about following Jesus, we think that, that what we should focus on in our life is not the underground realities, but it's more the outward actions of our life. And so it looks something like this illustration. Is that when we, when we think about following Jesus, we want to get the information right, and then we want the fruit or the behaviors of our life to look right. Right, so so we look at the outward things like do you know do I do I get mad and angry a lot? Do I do I cuss too much? Do I spend too much money? Do I eat too much? Do I drink too much? Right? Do I work too much? We look at all the outward behaviors, and then what? A lot of times we like to do is focus in on those. You know what? I need I need to, to do less of this, and I need to do less of this, and and we we focus on these outward fruit, these behaviors of our life. But what Jesus was saying is he wasn't saying that this was about the outward. He was talking about the underground roots of our life, the things that drive our behaviors. So in your life right now, if you're thinking about maybe I should start following Jesus and and you're focusing on the outward things you're doing, you may be asking yourself the wrong questions. And I understand why, because asking the right question is actually a lot scarier. Because see, I can look at my life and say, you know what? I'm drinking too much. You know what? Sometimes I drink eight beers. I'm going to try to drink two. And then I'm focused on two beers, eight beers, two beers, eight beers. But I never ask myself the question, why do I always like to drink eight beers? Or I look at my budget and I go, you know what? I'm spending too much. My credit card debt is is out of control here. You know what? I'm going to go to the mall less. I'm going to change this habit and this habit and this habit. That'll fix it. I'll just try to spend less. And then the year comes by and you actually spent more than you did last year because you never actually stopped and asked Jesus the question, Jesus, What's going on in my soul that I have to spend money to feel okay? Or it's maybe it's eating too much, or maybe it's gossiping, whatever it is, there are outward actions that we do that if we don't ask the question, Jesus, what, what's driving this? We may chase behavioral change our whole life and never actually see our life change to look like Jesus. It makes me think of one of my neighbors. He lived next door to me a couple of houses ago, and his life, his behavior, the outward action of his life was he went to work. He had, it looked like an early shift. He'd come home by about 2 o'clock. He'd head into his garage. He'd turn the Cub game on. Before the day was over, he'd drink a case of beer. He did it every day. And I would go to his house. We'd watch the Cubs, and, and he'd drink beer. And, and you know what I could have done is like Pastor Darren. I could have come in and sat in his garage and said, hey, bro, you know what? You drink too much. You're actually drinking like a case of beer? Like a day? But I didn't because I was at least kind of, you know, maybe kind of smart enough to know, like, you know what, maybe we don't focus on the behavior. Let's, let's get to know this guy and get to know his story and see what maybe is driving his behavior. So I hung out in his garage for a while, and, and I got to know his story. And what I come to realize is that, that this guy used to be an elite athlete. He was an amazing pitcher, and all the way through high school, he was, you know, one of the stars. And then IU recruited him. He went to be, to be a pitcher at IU. And he did really well at IU, and he did so well at IU that the Phillies actually drafted him to become a major league pitcher, right? The lifelong dream of, of most boys in this room, right? He became, was going on the path to become a big leaguer. And he went in, and he was at rookie ball for the Phillies, and he was going through that trying to chase his dream, and then he got hurt, and he fell in love, and he got homesick. 
And he traded in his dream to come back to Indiana to get married, to get a job, and to be normal. And what happened is that deep in the soil of his soul, he died. Because his whole life, his identity was baseball star, and now he was just regular dude that lives in Fishers. And so he never really dealt with that because he never really learned about following Jesus and what the identity that Jesus had for him, that he was called to be so much more than just what he did, but who God created him to be. And so what made sense to him is just hanging out and watching sports and drinking enough beer to not feel the pain that he had in his life. So we hung out long enough that one day at a halftime of a Colts game, we're sitting on my back deck and he just opens this up and tells me this whole story. And I said, you know what, maybe we could start looking about what Jesus might say about some of these things in your life. And he began reading the Bible and understanding that Jesus had so much more for him than just his old dreams, but there could be a new identity. And you know what started happening as the, the soil of his soul began to be changed and uprooted and healed? He started thinking to himself, you know what? I'm about 50 pounds overweight because if you drink a case of beer, that's a lot of calories daily, right? What if I just try drinking a little less because I'm thinking more and I need to actually have like my mind on so I can think about these things that I'm learning from Jesus. And he started losing weight and he started drinking less. And then he started thinking about what could God actually do with my life? And he changed his career path and he went back to school and he found a mission and a plan for his life. And now he follows Jesus. Is it perfect? It is the greatest thing ever? No, it's not. But he's intentionally, incrementally following Jesus and it's changed the fruit of his life because the roots of his soil, of his soul were changed. Discipleship is about Jesus taking you underground to the realities of your life and giving you healing for that which is broken, that which is untied and putting it back together that the fruit of your life would not be something you white knuckle and try to make happen, but would be a natural outpouring of the identity of who he's created you to be and redeemed in your soul. Reality about this, though, is that it's, um, this is a pretty scary process. Most of us do everything we can to try to ignore what's really going on under the surface in our life. That's why we eat, drink, work, spend too much, right? We try to numb it. Uh, Makes sense. But to get to this place and actually find the life that God created us to, we usually need people to walk and to dig underground with. We need underground relationships. We see this with Jesus, right? is that he didn't call everybody and just speak to the world. He called 12 dudes in. And if we kept reading in Mark chapter 5, there's actually certain situations where Jesus would actually even break down the 12 to three dudes. There's a cool story in Mark chapter 5 where they're going to heal this little girl. And I don't know why Jesus does it, but they're cruising along and he stops and he's like, y'all can't come. Uh, You three, come on. And they get to go watch him heal the girl. Why? I don't know. Jesus knew something that those three dudes needed to see that part of his life because of what they were going to do, and they actually did become three of the most influential disciples of Jesus. But we need those relationships where we're willing to go underground to the places of our life. And the interesting thing about Jesus is in Mark chapter 3, right before he starts teaching, he actually, it's when he actually calls these people together, right? And it's really interesting what Jesus does here. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 19, it says, He climbed a mountain and invited those he wanted with him. Notice that. Jesus went up a mountain and he invited those he wanted with him. Like it wasn't that everybody got to be there, right? So if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to start discipling people and see yourself being a part of of, of the mission of Christ, a lot of times what I would think when I would hear that is like, yeah, but I don't know that I want to just have anybody in my life and I'd feel guilty like I was a jerk. Maybe I am. (laughs) But But what I like about Jesus is, right, is that he didn't have to just take everybody, is he went and he said, you know what? I want these people in my life. And why did he want them? He says, they climbed together and he settled on 12 and designated them as apostles. The plan 
was that they would be with him and that he would send them out to proclaim the word and give them authority to banish demons. So Jesus wanted to spend time with these guys. In fact, 50% of his life on earth, he spent with these 12 dudes and he wanted to be with them and he wanted to spend time with them so he could reproduce everything that he was so they could imitate his life and he could send them out to change the world. question I have for us is that there's a leading and a following principle here. For some of us, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to actually follow other people? Are we willing to be led? Or is this just our personal faith that we're going to do on our own? It's humbling to get into a deep relationship with someone where you can be known and you could know other people and you can trust them with the underground junk of your life. But I can tell you what we're looking for. Every single one of us, we're looking for a transformative environment for our life where we can be known at our best and at our worst and receive more love and grace, not less. Some of us, though, we, we have to decide if, if we're willing to actually take that kind of leadership step. Because you know what's way easier in life? Not discipling people. It's way easier. You know, I'm going to go to church and try to figure out my jacked up life. What I don't need is you coming in to see how jacked up I am, right? And us walking together. What I'm going to try to do is show up on Sundays. That'd be cool, like about twice a month. And I'm going to smile and dress nice. And when people ask me how am I doing, I'm going to go, good, good, good. You want to donut? right? And then we're going to get out of there as soon as we can. What I don't want to do is get together with people where I start talking about the underground realities of my life and they go, how are you doing? And I have to say, well, I have a bad headache tonight because I drank a case of beer last night because I can't stand the fact that, that my wife just left me because I did this and I did this and things really, really stink right now in my life. Is that what you wanted to hear? Actually, I'm just barely holding on because I hate my job so much, but I have to stay in my job because I've overspent everything in my life and I can't pay my bills. And if I quit my job, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I just kind of grit my teeth and get through every single week of my life, even though I can't stand it. Want to get a donut? But to be able to get into a relationship where you would say, you know what? I maybe just barely know how to follow Jesus. But what I know is that we can't do it alone. And I'm going to take the risk to invite you into the way that I've learned to do it. And we'll walk together and see us incrementally, but intentionally become like Jesus. Seven years ago, this changed my life. I was at a conference and they asked those three questions that I, that I asked you earlier today. And I had to admit that I don't know that I'd ever been like formally discipled. And there wasn't anybody at the church I was leading that can come back and be like, Pastor Darren's discipling me. And I read the, I read the Great Commission. I was like, this is problematic. Yeah. I'm like, like habitually disobeying the great commission of Jesus. And so I made a decision that day that every year of my life, I was going to start a huddle. And I was going to grab like six to eight dudes and say, listen, I'm going to give you a year of my life. We're going to meet together every week. And I may do a pretty poor job of it, but I'm going to try to teach you what I know about following Jesus and let you model it in a way that you can maybe reproduce it in your life. And who knows, we might be able to start like a little small discipleship making movement. And this isn't like toot Darren's own horn and he's awesome or anything, but I just, I can look back now four years and there have been at least 12 huddles that have started out of that one decision that I made. 
And what I'm excited about is if I get to live till like I'm 70, what I'm excited about is that that will begin to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. And you know what? Like when I watch the news, like this, this week, I saw this picture, maybe some of you guys saw it, of this little Syrian boy that was put in the back of this ambulance, right? And his blood is running down his face. And I'm looking at this little six-year-old kid in the back of the ambulance. And all I can see is my six-year-old. And I'm like, what? It's wrong with our stinking world, right? And it really bothers me. And what do I do about Syria? I don't know what I do about Syria, but here's, my, here's what I'm betting my life on, is if I keep pouring my life into people in my life, and they keep pouring their life into other people, and disciples of Jesus keep replicating, along that line will be someone that God says, hey, guess what? You're going to Syria, and you're going to change this, and a whole discipleship movement could happen and actually change the world little by little by little. Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what works. And here's what I'm looking for this year, selfish commercial. In September, I'm going to start a process of putting together a new huddle. And what I'm looking for is people that are 18 to 30. If you're outside of that range, maybe we'll make an exception. But I want somebody who wants to be discipled and wants a mission. And you want your mission specifically to be reaching people in the bar and restaurant industry. And I'm going to choose 12 of you, and I'm going to give you a year of my life, and I'm going to teach you how to do everything we do with pub theology, and I'm going to give you the ministry to run, Okay. And I'm looking for 12 of you. And so the way you apply is you go online to pubtheologyindy.com and you go to the Faith Open Love tab and you go to the Blackbird Mission application. You put your name and stuff in there. And guess what? Uh, Some of you are going to apply and I'm not going to choose you and you're not going to like it. But you know what? I'm just going to do it like Jesus. And so I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to take 12 people that I want to spend a lot of my time with in the next 12 years, 12 months, 12 years, goodness gracious, 12 months. And I'm going to teach you what I know. I'm going to teach you to be like me in those environments. And then I'm going to let you have it to be who God created you to be. So if you're looking for a mission to be discipled and you feel like God may have called you to be in that bar industry, a bar and restaurant deal, apply next year for next year, okay? Last thought, underground revolution. I was at a conference last week and um, one of my long distance mentors, John Maxwell, said this and it shook me up a little bit. He came up on stage and he put his arm like this and he said, friends, everything in life that's worthy of your life is uphill. If you want to stay in shape, it's uphill. If you want a good marriage, it's uphill. If you want a successful business, it's uphill. If you want to follow Jesus, it's uphill. Meaning that if you're not intentional every single day moving forward in it, you're actually sliding backwards. But see, I'm not looking for a life where I can just find like, like, like piddly causes that don't actually require much of me. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life of significance that makes a difference and matters. That means I'm going to be moving uphill in my entire life. But if the opportunity could be to actually join Jesus and, and incrementally, like step by step by step, I could become a little bit different each day and help people that are following me become a little bit different each day. What might happen is in the next like 37 years, we might actually change the world. And it could actually mathematically look a little bit like this. Watch this video. Ever wondered why Jesus' last command to his committed followers was to make disciples of all nations? Have you ever wondered what it would look like if Christ's most committed followers today actually carried forth that command according to the standards set forth in the New Testament by Christ in the Twelve? If an evangelist were to reach a thousand people a day for Christ in a frozen population rate, 
Can you imagine how long it would take to reach the world for Jesus Christ? Just over 15,000 years. And imagine the spiritual maturity of these new converts, most of whom receive no real follow-up or discipleship and end up never reaching their full potential in Christ. However, if a committed follower of Christ, we'll call him Paul, were to disciple a new believer for one year, we'll call him Timothy. To the extent that Timothy matures in Christ until he is able to disciple another, for as Luke 6.40 says, the student will become like his teacher. So then, in year two, Timothy has become a discipler himself and takes on his first student while Paul takes on another student. By the third year, our Paul is discipling his third student while our Timothy is discipling his second student and our newest student is now able to make disciples as well. If the cycle is not broken, a spiritual downline is created which multiplies to the ends of the earth. Even at an accurate and growing population rate, do you know how long it would take in such a scenario to reach the entire world for Jesus Christ? Just under 37 years. And now imagine the spiritual maturity of these believers, all of whom have been equipped to both be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is why Christ's last command to his followers is not to make converts, but to make disciples of all nations. Discipleship is an intentional process of unearthing the underground realities of our lives through real, raw, and authentic relationships to unleash a revolution of individuals living their lives as Jesus would if he were them. Uh, I dislike our world right now, and I'd like to see it change. And I realize it doesn't change by political party or laws. It changes by love. It changes when human beings begin to live their life with the love of Jesus. And the cool part is that Jesus has invited every single one of you to be a part of that mission. So for you this morning, it may be a paradigm change. You may be here and you go, you know what, I need to to soak on this for a little bit, Darren. I just thought we would just go to church and give some money and try to be cool. You're saying that Jesus wants me to, like, teach people to follow him? Yes, he does, absolutely. Like, for, like, the first, like, 300 years of Christianity, you couldn't even attend church, Right? See, I did, like, I attend church, meet you're a Christian. No, right? That doesn't, doesn't work. I'm sorry, right? It's actually a discipleship movement created to change the world, and you're invited into it. So maybe you got to soak on that, okay? But for some of you, you may be here, and you go, you know what? It's time to enlist. It's time to make some steps. It's time to become intentional. Here's a couple of the intentional steps you could take that Mercy Road offers. You could join this rooted class, right? It's really just information, but it's the first step of laying a foundation of, like, a biblical worldview of what it means to follow Jesus and what he taught. From there, you could probably get into an outpost which you could get around other Christians that are living life on mission and and trying to learn this thing, right? And then over the next couple years, what's going to happen is going to be a lot of people that are trained to start huddles where they actually pour their life into people. And somebody may be in life with you and go, I want to spend a lot of time with you, invite you into a huddle. And then you could be trained to do that. And then for the rest of your life, guess what? You could multiply and multiply and multiply the impact of your life. And I tell you what's going to be really neat is you're going to die one day. So am I. And we get done with our life, and we're dead, and, and, and Lord willing, we're all in heaven together. And you'll get a chance to see the ripple effect of your life. And wouldn't it be cool if you walk into heaven 
and some little boy from Syria comes up to you and he says, hey, you, you changed my life. And you say, I don't know you, and I've never been to Syria. And he says, yeah, but what you didn't know is that person that you discipled that 10th year that you were leading huddles, they actually did fly to Syria, and they changed my life, and that's why I'm here today. So thanks for doing what you did in Carmel, because you didn't know that Jesus was going to reach Syria. Or you can keep watching reality TV and wasting your life. It's totally your decision. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for the opportunity that we have to join you. Thanks for what you're going to do about it. I pray that you would expand our imagination of what our life could mean and how we could impact this world and how our lives can change. I pray for Christians that are here today, Father, that are, that are stagnant and stale and they're, they're in park in their life. And I pray that you would give them a vision that the way they get unlocked, the way that they begin moving is by allowing themselves to pour into others. That the gospel only comes to them on its way to someone else and they would be inspired to find someone to disciple. I pray somebody here is here today that, that didn't know that there was a chance for Jesus to teach them how to live, that they would, they would lean into that offer and that opportunity and relationship. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.